You may have noticed the podcast release schedule has been irregular, <laughs> to say the least. It's been hard for me to get episodes out on regular schedule because we've been traveling and lots of stuff got announced. Um, we were in Europe for a few weeks. Uh, the iPhone came out and also the Fuji X100 II. And I got to play with all of them. And then, well, the perfect opportunity came up to get an episode out because David Sparks of Mac Power Users reached out and was like, hey, do you want to come on the show? And I said, yes. Can I please post it to my podcast feed as well? Because otherwise I wouldn't have anything to put out for the next little while. So it's audio only and a little different from normal episodes because I'm generally the one being interviewed here. But I think we go over some really interesting tips and topics, especially for people that like to take photos with their iPhone iPhone 15 is a huge upgrade in so many ways, even though I think average users may not notice it or realize it. A lot of the crazy power features here are for professionals, probably people that listen to the show. So I hope you enjoy it. And hey, if you don't know about the Mac Power Users podcast, it's been around forever. Like this is a staple in the Apple community. They do a great job of covering tips and tricks for any types of Mac applications. Like just how to overall use the system and understand what a Mac is all about. So I definitely recommend listening to it. I've been listening for years. And for now, listen to this new episode. And uh, thanks again to David for having me on. Welcome to the Mac Power Users. I'm David Sparks. Today I am joined by Tyler Stallman. Welcome to the show, Tyler. Hey, great to talk to you, David. Uh, I'm so happy. Tyler was a guest on the show back in 2019. Um, you, I think I've told you privately, I think you're one of my favorite YouTubers. Anything you release something, I Aww. immediately watch it. Uh, uh, gang, Tyler does such a good job of humanizing photography and videography. It's like you walk the line. Because there's some people on YouTube that they're, they they talk at such a high level. I don't even know what they're talking about. Um, you live up there, but you're able to talk to us as mortals. And I just love the stuff you make. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a huge part of all of our lives. I think it's, uh, you know, it stopped being a thing that is, you know, only hobbyists can take great photos at this point. We can all take great photos. So a lot of the conversation doesn't have to be complicated. Yeah. And Stephen couldn't be here today. It's, you know, part of them wrapping up over at St. Jude. So uh, he couldn't make it, but uh, I said, Tyler, you know, you made this amazing video. We're going to put a link to it in the show notes on the iPhone 15, a photographer's uh, review and some very interesting points that I hadn't heard from anybody else. So today in the show, we're going to deep dive into the iPhone 15, the iPhone 15 pro, the new camera changes. What do they mean? We're going to talk about where these cameras stand in relation to a consumer camera or professional camera, you know, where does Apple live on that spectrum at this point? Tyler's also, because he's a professional, he's got some great tips for photography and videography. We got, we got a lot of to cover in the outline today and um, I'm just so excited to have you on the show. And I think we, we got a lot to cover before we get started though, Tyler, it has been several years since you've been on the show and in the meantime, Apple re-engineered their silicon and, you know, a whole bunch of stuff has changed. I thought it'd be the fun to check changed, in. changed, yeah. Yeah, right? It, it is. It's like the the Apple world axis changed with the release of Apple silicon, particularly for people in your racket, because I feel like so much of Apple silicon is built around increasing workflows and speed on video uh, editing and, and photography. 
Yeah, I um I'm glad you asked cuz I can't I can't stop talking about this even though, you know, it's been a few years now since this has transformed. Yeah. But I just want to keep saying how amazing it is because I think it's very easy to forget how far we've come in a really short period of time. For years, you know, I've, I've been reviewing Macs and uh, iPhones and cameras in general for um, you know, at, at least a decade now or something. And in that time, you know, it would just marginal gains year over year, right? We'd be like, oh, this is exciting. It's 10% faster. Great. Like I can export my photos marginally faster. But all of a sudden, all the benchmarks that year, the M1s just completely switched to this experience of like, oh, uh, I, I couldn't e- it, editing the original files was so slow. I just didn't even consider doing it, you know, to yeah. this, now we're at this place where I, it's casual. It's a, you know, there's, there, uh, there's files that, um, from common mirrorless cameras that when editing video would be, um, they, they would be the benchmark cause it'd be so slow. And it's like, oh, now it plays at, tw- you know, 25 frames per second instead of, uh, 23. Now it's just full speed, never question it, never worry about it. And that can even be on a MacBook Air. You know, like the MacBook yeah. Air is outperforming where the Mac Pro was last time we talked. So it's, ju- I, I can't get over it. It's still amazing. And I hope we can remember to appreciate it for even for a few more years. I mean, they broke the benchmarks. I don't know how else to put it, right? Yeah. The stuff you benchmark now just works without any limitation. Mm-hmm. So you can't use it anymore. And I think a lot of this for the the world that I'm in, especially the especially on the the video side, is that it's not just that the you know a lot of what Apple gets credit for is like the CPU performance per watt, right? Like an, on a low power machine, it's extremely fast, um, like like a laptop. But it is also all of this specific hardware built into these new you know M1, M2 SOC chips that. Uh, specifically target video optimization and encoding and decoding both H.265 and ProRes and everything that we use all the time as professionals. Like there are little bits of that chip that are like, you know, you don't have to reach out to the CPU or the GPU. This little component will handle it all for you. And I think that's real. It's, you know, it, the Mac Pro had, I'm forgetting the name now because it didn't stick around that long. What was the name of the card that you'd put into the Mac Pro? that uh, was very exciting at the time that would just uh, deal with video. Yeah. It's on the tip of my tongue. Accelerate. I think, I think it started with just happened. This, Yeah. You know, was this wasn't that long too. ago, but it didn't stick around. Yeah. yeah, exactly. It was the price of a MacBook. It didn't stick around because now it's just built into the M1 or the M2. So uh, yeah, it's, it's very, it's a great time to be an editor. And you video guys were like lining up to buy those cards because why not? I mean, if you yeah. can increase speed. But now I call it the hallway advantage. Like someone can go down the hallway and say, hey, we're bottlenecking the graphics chip in Final Cut with this one thing. Can you just add it to the processor? And somebody's like, no yeah, problem. Yeah. Afterburner, put, that's the word. Yeah, yeah, I knew it started with an A. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. yeah. but the so And all that is solved now. You said earlier that you know a modern MacBook Air is competing with an older Mac Pro. I feel like um, the the takeaway for me is the low-end Macs massively benefited from the Apple Silicon transition, which which is what Apple should do. You know, ninety-five or ninety-nine percent of the people are are really in a MacBook Air or a, a decent MacBook Pro situation, and they're fine. I feel like what has not entirely benefited from it is the upper end, like the the Mac Pro, and mm. that's that's mm. a whole thing right now, but. 
uh, the the advan- they made the the damn thing so fast that it's kind of hard to distinguish it at the upper end now. Yeah, it it there is this like really interesting blending and there, for years it was always like if you want the small portable option you're making this huge compromise. Again, I'm kind of repeating myself. We've gone over this. It's this you know, we've been yeah. enjoying it so much, but we there, it was always a compromise to get the small and portable, right? Like you it's either small or it's powerful you can't have both and now most people can do almost everything on the macbook air i can edit 4k youtube videos i mean i could edit 4k commercials uh on a macbook air really like no problem footage from any camera um the limitations are just like at the higher end like the higher end post-production stuff that most even most professionals don't need to do and your exports will take a bit longer you know it won't be you, you can't go as crazy, but you can do anything. Sometimes it'll be slower, yeah. but you can do it. And that's really amazing. And those are what I call make a sandwich exports. Go make a sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. The um, you know, One thing, Tyler, I've not seen you cover much is the iPad. Are you an iPad guy at all? So I definitely would describe myself as an iPad guy. I mean, I have a couple iPads and they get some use, but it's... <clears throat> It's very much a side computer for me. You know, it's, I, I'm never really doing anything that essential on it. Um, it's always just for those little extra tasks that just happen to fit for it. What I'm actually really excited to use it for is there is a new app from the designers of Halide. Um, i trying to I'll remember the name before we get to the end of this, but that lets you plug a, if you have like an HDMI to USB-C converter, you can plug any video device directly into your iPad and it suddenly becomes a monitor for it. And there's been ways to do this that weren't so straightforward before. And suddenly now it is very straightforward. And so all of a sudden, like uh, that, that is like the new use case that I think I'm going to have an iPad for a lot yeah. more often um, is, Oh, it's called Orion O R I O N so that you can just quickly just like plug in. And now you're watching the large video. So for video producers, this is always a, an issue is like the, the cost of a professional monitor, which, you know, I have many of uh, made by like small HD, they make really good ones, but those monitors cost, you know, at least a thousand dollars to 2000 is not uncommon. And for the, the really good ones can be like $5,000 for a five to seven inch monitor. These are smaller than an iPad. You got to strap on big batteries to them that don't even last that long anyway. And, you know, they, they you're, and you're, and you're paying a fortune for them. You will now have, you know, put an iPad mini in there and it's going to look maybe better. Like the screen's amazing in all, in all iPads. Um, so this is, that's the iPad use that I'm suddenly like, I think my iPads might get a lot more use because of this one app. So I'm excited for that. So when you say a monitor, would that be while you're shooting or in the edit process? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. While I'm shooting. Yeah, so okay. it's, you know, because often, you know, cameras, uh, m- most cameras, especially mirrorless will have a little screen on the back, right. That's smaller than an iPhone. It's, you know, two or three inches and, um, you can use it. I, we all do use it, but it's not enough to really know what's going on. So anytime I'm recording myself for a YouTube video, I try to have a bigger screen. So a good hack, like I do this all the time is that I'll run the USB-C or sorry, the, I'll, I'll take an HDMI out of my mirrorless camera and run it into the, uh, into my MacBook to use that as a, now I've got a 16 inch monitor in my hotel room and I can see myself and I'm like, Oh, I've got some lint on my shirt and I need to brush my hair and I've got something in my teeth. And you know, that stuff's impossible to see on a little three inch screen 
that flips out. So it's so helpful having something bigger and an iPad is kind of the perfect solution for this. This will be a big thing for a lot of like mid mid professionals, but also high end professionals, I think are going to be using this a lot. And now there's going to be a whole market of uh, interesting clip on iPad holders, right? To put it on top of your yeah. lens. Yeah, well, I guess exactly. The, those probably already exist for some of the closed cat. What is it? The uh, teleprompter stuff, but it would work for this too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They exist, but now uh, there's, there's more reasons to pick it up. The the little bad news that I got, this is what I thought of right away. So I'm sure somebody else is thinking about it is, Oh, when does this app come out for iPhone? Because I'd much, you know, iPhones per, the perfect size and I could use it all the time. Apparently there is something different about the USB-C in on the iPhone 15 that is not going to allow the same kind of monitoring. So apparently it's not coming right away. Hopefully Apple can open up whatever they need to, to make that work. Yeah. Fingers crossed. And then of course, for your phone, you're driving the new iPhone 15 pro. Yeah. Yeah. So we were, um, we were traveling when this happened. So I was, uh, only able to get review units. Um, we are, we're, we're in Denmark now and it was kind of hard to, I was, I was there trying to order at the, at the exact moment. Um, and it just wasn't working and I was not really sure which store I should be ordering through anyway. And there actually aren't Apple stores here. (laughs) So, um, uh, Apple did, uh, connect me with some review units. So I was able to test out all versions of the phone while I'm here. And then I'm going to send them back before I go. Um, so I don't have my own yet, but I, I was able to spend the last, at least I don't know, a week or whatever with them. And I've, I've been using them as much as I possibly could. And do you know which one you're going to order when you do? Yeah, I, th- you know, okay. So I said in my video, anybody that watched my video, I said I was going to go for the pro max this time, even though I usually go for the pro. I think I'm changing my mind <laughs> between yeah. now and then. Cause, um, the, well, my wife is very into the pro max and for context to my wife, Anya and I run our photography and video business together. So most things we're both shooting it, uh, you know, when we're shooting for clients often I'll shoot the video and she'll shoot the photos. So we're both kind of working on the same project. So her having that five X lens, the five times zoom, um, means that if, you know, if I don't have it with me, I can borrow her phone. So yeah. I think instead of us both getting a max, she'll get the max and I'll get the pro. Cause the, that's the size that size is more appropriate for me. And I also think the, the three times telephoto lens is a little more up my alley, actually not, not because the five is bad. We can get into the details of why, but it's just what I think I will actually use more often. Yeah. That was one of the points in your review. And I guess we can just, let's talk about that right now. Anyway, um, sure. we got the five times lens in the iPhone pro max and the three times lens in the iPhone pro. And there's a whole lot of stuff going on with that five times lens. Cause they need more space between the lens and the sensor. And the rumors were all that Apple was going to do a periscope and, you know, anybody that used to make them out of milk cartons when they were kids knows what a periscope is. It's a long tube with a couple mirrors in it. And the, um, that's not what this is. <laughs> this is, it's a, it right. is a kind of compressed mirrors, uh, almost on the whole, making a diagonal uh, run from the end of the lens to the sensor, but it's through a series of mirrors. It reminded me of a, like a, a, a Fresnel lens. If you kind of know the shape of what those lenses look like, where they, yeah. the, they have these jagged edges and the fact that they were calling it a prism, you know, I don't know what it means to be a prism instead of a periscope exactly. Um, but, uh, you know, I'd love to learn more about it. 
Yeah, to me, a periscope is like what you find in a submarine. It's a long tube with a yeah. with a sensor on one end, you know, and a uh, and a and a lens on the other. But one of the things I, I didn't really get out of your review, and I haven't really heard from anybody too much, is I felt like with all of those gears in there on that five X lens, that um, stability and focus might be an issue. What was what was your experience with that? I mean, I am amazed at the stability. Uh, I mean, this this is always a huge issue, and I think people that are using, um, you know, really using any phone with a with a big zoom, because obviously there's been some Android options out there for a while now. You know, Samsung's had huge zooms, and um, uh, last year I reviewed the Google Pixel Seven as well, which had a five times uh, telephoto lens. And if you're used to using it on a phone, you you probably don't. No, you don't realize how shaky a 120 millimeter lens is if you're, say, using it on a traditional full frame camera. Like hand holding that lens, it it is vibrating all over the place. I mean, zooming in magnifies the movements incredibly. And um, if you're going to be recording a video, you know, traditionally with a re- real camera, uh, you would have to have it on a tripod. You couldn't hand hold that amount of zoom. So, what these phones all need to be doing as a baseline and the manufacturers all know this that it needs to be pretty st- like adding a, a lot of stability before anybody will be able to create anything interesting so the the built I, I know that apple enhanced their optical stabilization for this it's doing a better job than it was on the, the three times and you can feel it um and the I, I mean, I had a really interesting experience of, of a massively viral video in a way that I've, I've never had before, where I, um, it was the segment to my video where I, I talked about that five times and action mode, um, where this, you know, this was available last year in the 14 pro. And if you zoom in and turn on action mode, it, it punches in even further and you just get the most incredible stabilization. And it really shows itself off once you start to move like if you walk while you're doing that and keep the subject in the center you get this amazing effect that's sort of made famous by michael bay and i mean the the, that segment of my video i mean it got like five million views on twitter and six million on tiktok and like it just really like went everywhere um which you know was interesting to me because it's not even a completely new feature like this was already available and i think people seeing that level of stability really sort of shocked everyone that saw it uh which is how i feel too it's it is absolutely incredible how how rock solid that footage is um and then in terms of focus it just hasn't bothered like nothing has been wrong with it it's been it's been very good so no no complaints there well it's an interesting take to me because i think a lot the the kind of the commentary was well if you want the better camera you got to get the bigger phone and your take was well no if you want the larger zoom you get the bigger phone Mm -hmm. but the 3x lens is also very good and maybe you don't want 120 millimeters maybe you'd prefer 77 and that's something to consider when you're buying your phone yeah i i I didn't really have a good way to summarize this and i i think anybody that is has worked with traditional photography like will understand this intuitively that if you're going out and buying lenses uh you know and the, the equivalents would usually be like there, the, commonly there's a 85 millimeter similar to the three X. And then a common uh, longer one would be 135. That's pretty common as well. You go pick those up and one isn't better. It's not better to get the bigger zoom lens. It's just a different, it's a different lens. You know, a 35 isn't better than a 24 and a 
16 millimeter isn't better than a 50 millimeter. Like none of these are better. They just do a different thing. And, and so I think it's easy to look at specs and think of five is bigger than three. I need bigger, bigger is better. And it just, yeah. it completely is not the case. Um, it's, it, it might, so the way I would sum it up, if you're, let's say your priority is this zoom feature. Um, whereas I, I think that actually shouldn't be most, most people's priority. The actual physical size of the phone is, a, will have a bigger impact on your life. But if you care a lot about it, the five is most useful. If if you are often zooming in to just show people like, look at that over there. There's a far thing. There's something far away from me and I need to document it and, and show it to you in with clarity. But I think that the, the three times is more often useful from a creative perspective. Um, it, like, like I was saying, if you're choosing between those two common lenses, which is 85 millimeters, 135, the 85 will get used much, much more. It's just a more versatile focal length. It's, that's kind of the standard for portraits. Um, if you're watching a movie, a lot of like conversation shots, you know, they'll start off on a wide that might be maybe a 24 millimeter, maybe a 50, and then it'll come into an 85. That's very, very common. So I think you'll, you'll have more use cases, even though it's not reaching as far um, you know, that extra reach can be harder to manage sometimes too. So it's very good for people that if your priority is, you know, being at a concert, being at a kid's performance at school, like you need to just see the, see the thing far away. Um, it'll do, it'll do that. But if it's all, if you're more about, you know, creative photography, um, I, the, the three times lens is not only good, but is sometimes more useful. We got started on the three times versus five times, but I want to get in a little deeper on the iPhone as camera because this mm. year Apple said a lot of things about what they're doing with focal lengths and and as we get more information about the sensor, it's it's not as big of a change as, as I actually thought it was when we started. Um, but let's start with the iPhone 15 because you looked at both of them. Um, how is it different this year? Yeah, so I, I think there can be a bit of a burying the lead effect there, and I tried to highlight that when I when I made my video too. That with the iPhone, with the 15 Pro, it it really it didn't seems like it didn't change at all. I think it is the same sensor, and so yeah, um, because the way they said it in the keynote confused a lot of people. I think it sounded like they said it was a bigger sensor. I think I was mistaken at first too, but the the 15 is a bigger sensor, so it's getting a very similar upgrade to what we saw last year in the 14 pro. And now anybody buying a 15, whatever level it is now has 48 megapixels. So, um, there is less of that big division between the, the, the normal phone and the, the, the pro phone. So, um, that's, I mean, that's great news for all the people that aren't getting pros, which is probably m- many more people, um, but that still care about their photos. You know, it's just because, just cause you don't buy three lenses doesn't mean you don't want great photography. And, um, I found it to be a, a, a noticeable upgrade. Uh, it was, um, it's now resolving 24 megapixel final images by doing some interesting compositing between the sort of downsized, uh, they take the 40, we heard this all last year, but they take 40 megapixels, turn it into 12, which that, that division works very easily. The math is easy to do, but how do you get 24 out of that? Well, they're also taking a very detailed, but slightly noisier 48 megapixel image and compositing that into the 12 megapixel somehow, you know, using the, the Apple magical, uh, photo, I forget the word, 
their their imaging pipeline computational photography yes but there's like an apple there's an apple word for it and i try not to memorize the apple words too much because it's a little bit of you know it's like marketing fluff that's not actually the most important detail but it's work the the important things that it works you know it comes out looking very good you can see a bit of a difference between the 15 and 15 pro that, you know, I think a lot of people won't know that at first glance because the, they'll see they're both 48 megapixels, so they should be the same. It's not quite the same on the 15. It is a little bit softer, but you have to zoom in all the way to see that. Some images you cannot tell. You really just don't see a difference. So I, I don't think anybody should focus on that, kind of letting you know that it's not exactly as sharp, but it is close enough that I, I don't think people should worry about that. If most of the time, if you just use that main lens and the ultra wide, you will be very happy with just the 15 and, and, you know, you don't have to get the pro if you want great photos. And like we were saying earlier, when we talk about Apple Silicon with final cut, I feel like the hallway between the, the camera team and the Silicon team is probably even more traveled than the final yeah. cut team. I, I think so much of what Apple's doing on those a chips is about taking better pictures. Absolutely. Yeah. A, a lot of this is actual hardware acceleration too, which is, you know, it's part, part of the reason that we don't see all these features uh, appear. Like it's not just a software update to see it in older phones. Like they've worked on things like having zero lag uh, shutter button now so that it won't have their, their, you know, there's just a millisecond delay previously between you press the shutter and then which the camera's always rolling, but which image does it actually start to run through its imaging pipeline? Previously, there was a, a few millisecond delay there, and you wouldn't get a, like the live photo that you were seeing as you pressed it. Now they've really aimed to have it be a perfect response that like as soon as you see the photo, you touch the shutter, that is the photo that you get. Um, so that's, you know, that that is absolutely great, especially for professionals with high expectations. Um, and what else have they done with the the connection of it? I mean, they made that bump. So, you you know, we kind of glossed over the A17 in general. Oh, wait, I guess we're still on the 15. I don't want to jump ahead to the Pro yet. Uh, what else can we talk about on the 15? Well, let's, let's jump to the Pro, because I think a lot of folks in the audience, that's the one they got or are interested in. And, <laughs> sure. and that, it's always, if it's you want yeah, and if you want to do the best photography, videography, that's, Apple yes. is going to put the best toys in the more expensive one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, another one that, okay, so this does apply to both, but it, it is what the A7, the A17 Pro is doing and, you know, and the A16, but these, these great processors is doing the portrait mode um, all the time, like always offering it as an option anytime you take a photo. And I, I do find this extremely useful. I'm almost surprised they kept the portrait mode camera option. Like it seems like they could have just left this automatic thing because Anytime you take a photo and it thinks that, okay, you might want a blurry background, you can then go back and add it later. Um, I mean, I think this is fantastic. I don't think, I don't think most photos should necessarily have it um, because I always have a bit of a feeling that if you're applying digital effects, even if they're very good, which, you know, the, the portrait photography does an excellent job, but you can still see that the person is cut out. Like the hair is not perfect. And in, 20 years that might look that's what might kind of date it as like oh remember when that new feature came out even if it looks good today um i i always recommend people go easy on like a new filter they get or a new feature in a in a phone that that may age 
is being a little too obvious. So um, I like using portrait mode turned way down so that it is on, but very subtle. So there's just a little bit of separation between the subject and the background, but it, it does not need, if you crank it up all the way, it, it looks super fake. Um, so yeah, that that has become very useful and it's super responsive. Yeah, one of the things about the new portrait mode, I've got some questions. Uh, I do want you to kind of comment on how they're doing with portrait mode because I don't have the right eye for it. But before I even get there this year, they're talking about this new feature where you don't need to shoot in portrait mode. You've got portrait availability to you anytime, but there was a degree of that before. I I'm not really sure what is the difference and why is this better this year? Well, yeah, before you really did have to decide if you shot with so you could shoot in portrait mode all the time if you wanted and then turn it off. That was the option in the past. Um, but when you take portrait mode photos, there is a bigger delay. Um, you would see it thinking more. You can't just like tap the button. And, you know, if you have a group of people and you want to make sure that they're not blinking in any, I always recommend take, take a bunch of quick photos, you know, like get as many in there as you can and then choose one later. And in portrait mode, it would really slow that down. Like you couldn't press the button as fast. Now you can shoot in as shoot them in regular photos, full speed. Then you're able to go back and make the decision later. Whereas before you'd have to choose that slower portrait mode that had to think as you shot. And um, so there's like always a bigger decision point of like, you know, do, am I going to add it now and then remove it later? I think that's a very different decision that like you start off with not adding it and you can you build on on the image later. So I think it's it's more flexible and I think a lot more people will end up discovering the feature and using it more often because of this. I can tell you just the people in my life there's a lot of folks that are not watching the Tyler Stallman channel and don't that will never own a fancy camera but this to them is just golden. They use this portrait mode honestly a little bit too much <laughs> but it, it is interesting to me how this has taken off so much with general public people who who never don't understand bokeh they don't understand what f-stop is but they do like blurry photos yeah and i don't think the blurry background is just that's not a trend specifically like there's just a storytelling aspect where having separation between the subject and the background is always helpful in knowing where to look when we used to all shoot film point and shoots for our family photos, a film point and shoot is a full frame camera, you know? So even if it was the cheapest thing, well, other than disposables, but if it was anything that had some autofocus, it was probably a pretty fast lens, maybe F 3.5 or F 2.8. And you would get visible background blur from a, yeah. you know, little tiny Olympus or Canon uh, built in the nineties. And you're shooting to, to, you know, maybe Kodak or Fuji film, which had incredible imagery production. So there was actually less of a gap in some ways between what you could take on a film point and shoot and a film professional camera. Now the sensors in a, in a phone are, are much smaller, right? Like you, you can't get that same level of blur in the background as well as there's many other challenges to reach the same level of image quality. So the, the, nice thing about this portrait mode is it brings those two closer together. And what Apple does an amazing job on is rendering that bokeh in the background with the, the, the blur around a light source looks a certain way when it comes from a lens. If you apply blur in Photoshop, 
you know, which Photoshop's the professional photo editing tool. It's what professionals use. Their blur doesn't look as good as what the iPhone does. It creates these little circles from every point of light in the image that kind of blend together in a very organic way. It looks more like what VFX for a film would do when it is blurring a background. Um, Apple really thought about this. I, I don't think they get enough credit for how sophisticated that bokeh response is in the background. What I don't love as much, I you know hinted at it already, is that the cut the cutout around the person. That's where you can see it fall apart a little bit. If somebody's wearing glasses, which I do, so I see it all the time, you know, the cutout around the frames can be a little messy. Or if their hair is, there's fine points of it frizzing around that is also hard for the computer to figure out. But um, the the blur looks amazing. It's just that cutout. They could still get a little better at it. Do you, I think I'm older than you. Do you recall 110 cameras? Did you ever use those? Are you aware no, of those? No, I, I don't know that one. Uh, it was the cameras that we used in the 70s and the 80s. It was like the consumer camera. And they the film was on a little cartridge. Oh, yes. Oh, of course. I do. Now I know what you're talking about. Yes. Those that was were a, that was terrible. A, they were <laughs> <those> terrible. <laughs> <laughs> so... What I discovered recently, something I'm excited about, I actually want to pick one up, is uh, I'd never heard of it, but it's called half-frame film. And it would take a regular roll of 35. Because the problem with those cartridges is they're proprietary. So yeah. if you own one of those now, like an APS-C camera from the time, but you can't really use it anymore because they don't make the film. But a half-frame camera uses normal film and just shoots on half of the available 35-millimeter frame each time. So you still get you get twice as many shots per roll, and it is much cheaper to take each photo so if anybody's thinking about getting into film photography and wants to keep it cheap go go search ebay for half frame cameras they're super fun but do not search for 110 cameras because the pictures do are not get 110 <laughs> yes you will regret well, i hope it. you make a video about your half frame camera one day i'd love to see see what you do with it um one of the other things we we kind of been dancing around this thing with the sensor so the sensor is essentially the same in the iPhone 14 Pro and the iPhone 15 Pro. Is that what the consensus is at this point? Yeah, that's the consensus. Of course, there might be some tweak under the hood that we don't know about, but yeah, if there's a difference, no, no one's going to know. But getting back to computational photography, Apple has actually improved what the images you're getting out of it with the iPhone 15 Pro quite a bit. And one of the things that they talk about are these sensor cropping or um, various focal lengths, you know, they, they, they're advertising seven focal lengths on a camera that has three lenses, which you kind of humorously, humorously point out in your video, but explain how that works. And if that's something we should be interested in. Yeah. So there, I feel really mixed about this because I, you know, I, I understand what they're doing. Like, it will be very helpful, I think, for a lot of people to understand the differences between focal lengths. The choices they made of adding 28 millimeters and 35 millimeter options are very common for photography. So it'll help people get a much clearer understanding of some of the most widely used focal lengths out there. Like this, if you go buy a, a kit of lenses for making a film, let's say, right? Like you go rent the the big Cook lenses or Leica lenses that hollywood uses these are kind of this is what you'll end up with so it's helping teach everybody using an iphone what what a focal length is even but it's not it's not actually a different focal length too so there's a bit of you know the the marketing is not completely in sync with what the feature really is 
it is definitely cropping in on the sensor. But the reason that I'm kind of okay with it is there's, you know, the sensor is excellent. It, it already is very good. And I was already comfortable cro- cropping in, like, I think it's like 20% on the 28 millimeter. And uh, I guess 1.5 on the 35 millimeter. And making that kind of crop on an image you've already taken is pretty acceptable. Like it'll still look fine for most use cases. Plus Apple's doing a little bit of magic to upscale that in a more impressive way, which is something that that trick is on more professional cameras as well. Sony does that and Fuji does that. And they all do find some magic where, you know, if the camera is upscaling it, it looks better than if you do it yourself. Apple has done that as well. So even though I'm a little annoyed about the marketing of these, it is a completely usable feature. Uh, I spent all day today with 28 millimeters as my default. Um, and super common confusion about of lenses. People will often use a longer lens because you can see many examples out there that a longer lens compresses the face of, of humans in a way that is more flattering. It you know doesn't accentuate our weird chins and noses, and uh, everybody kind of likes the way they look more on a, a longer lens, like a 120 millimeter, right? That isn't an effect of the lens. There's no magic in the physical lens object. The, the niceness that people are appreciating, that comes from the distance of the subject to the sensor, really. As you walk closer to a sensor, if you had an infinitely wide lens and you move close, so in VFX, they do have this because they're you know just working in a 3D space. As you move closer and further, the distortion happens because like, your nose is closer to the camera than your ears are. That's the distortion. It's not magic in the lens. So using these crop modes does give you that same amount of like flatteringness. If you if you shoot a, a portrait at 35 millimeters instead of the default 24, it will be a bit more flattering. Um, so I, I you know I think people are going to learn a lot about photography by using these. I you know I think it's it's a good feature. It just might be a little confusing for a lot of people. Yeah, and if you're not aware of them and you have the iPhone 15 Pro, you just tap on the 1X. It's, you know, the 1X lens yes. is is cycling between 24, 28, and 35. And, as, you know, as a pro, could you just give us kind of some basics of what we should be thinking about with the, the 3, the 24, the 28, and the 35? Like, are there kind of rules of thumb of what you would use those different focal lengths for? Yeah, the... um you know, the, well, first of all, the 0.5 is sometimes my favorite lens. I love the ultra wide on there. Yeah. Um, I use it all the time. I think the key to that one is if you're shooting a person, uh, give them some, give them a little distance and don't put them on the side of the frame, put them in the center. Cause on the sides, everything will get distorted. Cause the reasons that I said, you know, the, the proximity of the camera to the lens, all that. So put people in the middle for the ultra wide and you're going to have a blast with it. Uh, I, I, I love the ultra. You know, on that point five, on that point five, did you, I, are you aware that college kids do what they call point fives with an iPhone? Have you ever heard of this before? <laughs> Is this the thing where the, the like really ugly portraits? <laughs> yeah, well, they hold it up. They put the camera on the point five lens, and then they hold it up and take a selfie. But they all stand around together. And it, it comes oh, out. It's an uh, yeah, interesting yeah. looking image. And they, they don't know. You know, I do. I, I like that. Yeah, but they call my because I've got a kid at UCLA and another one that just got out of college, and she's like, "Oh yeah, we uh, that's what we call it a point five. It's like Apple oh, put, okay, yeah. instead of putting wide, they wrote point five in the app, and now the kids call it the point five, and they all take that's them funny. on themselves. And if you've got a group of that's people I, and you're standing around, you want to get a, a, a selfie, works. make sure everybody's in. You just flip the camera around, 
hit the volume up button and pray a little bit. And it usually comes out pretty good. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that is actually, a, that is a great, that is a good tip. The thing I was thinking of that I've seen uh, the, the Gen Zers do, which is kind of hilarious is they'll basically put it, put it on 0.5 and then take a photo from like their forehead. And it's the most distorted, yeah. horrific or looking nose. photo yeah. you could take of a person. <laughs> yeah. Gross. Um, but uh, so uh, that's, that's the uh, anti-aesthetic look. Um, the, the one X. Uh, so, you know, I'm probably going to stick to using, you know, one, one times zoom, the main lens, the 24 millimeters, because I like to have all the resolution. I like it to be sharp. I don't mind cropping myself later if I decide to do that. You know, I, and I think that's kind of this, that is the safe place for most people to live most of the time because you're just going to get the best of best of everything. And again, that is, that is the good sensor. It is significantly larger than the ultra wide and the telephoto sensor. Um, that 20, the new 28 millimeter and 35 millimeter crop options, um, they will basically give you, like I was saying that, that flatteringness is happens because as it crops in, let's see crop into 35, which is like, that's a very common walk around camera lens. We were just talking about film cameras a moment ago. That was like the default. If you bought a point shoot and it didn't have a zoom, it would often have a 35. It's, it's, you know, very nice for taking a wide portrait of somebody, um, it's going to be more f- potentially more flattering than the 24. Um, so it, it kind of encourages you to end up with a situation where the person's going to have less distortion, still a really excellent image quality. Then if you zoom in further to the, 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 cause they still offer the two time zoom, which is closer to a 50, 50 something millimeter. Um, that'd be considered a, like a normal lens in the film world. It was, you know, pretty standard, but I, I don't use that for portraits so often on the phone because for one, it's cropping in a lot more on that sensor. You are starting to lose a bit of the quality. I use it more often for video than for photo because in, in video, um, the final resolution of 4k isn't as much as the final resolution of a photo. So you don't quite notice the crop as much. Um, but, uh, there's something that feels off about me for me when I zoom in two times and the background is still sharp which is not how it would be on a traditional camera. So I don't really use it for portraits that much. Um, typically, I'd, I'd probably use the 35 more often for a portrait. Then that big zoom, like I was saying before, it's like if you're on the 3, 3X, um, that's excellent for, uh, that is you know pr- very nice for a portrait. Um, a- again, what I, probably my favorite use case for that is, like, I'm traveling right now, so I'm getting to do it all the time, is if you kind of look down a street that you can see far down it. Like there's a lot of buildings side by side, lining them up. So they all stack in the shot is really beautiful. Um, anytime you can kind of add layers, that's what I like about those bigger zooms. It's like challenge yourself to see how many things at very different distances can you stack into one photo? That's really my favorite way to use it. Uh, and same goes, same goes with the five. It'll get more challenging because it's reaching so far that you need a clear line of sight to go all the way. Um, or of course, if you're just at a concert and, you know, want to see Taylor Swift up close, then you want the biggest zoom possible. Yeah. That, that's going to be a selling point for a lot of people. <laughs> Cause, uh, yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the seats you can afford for Taylor Swift are pretty far away from Taylor Swift. The, um, uh, yeah. the 48 megapixel, uh, heath image. So last year you could do a 48 megapixel shot on the iPhone 14 pro with the 40, with the full sensor, but had to be raw. This year, they added the ability to have, I guess, a Heath image, which is somewhat processed, but much easier for normal folk to to get off the camera. Is is that something you'd recommend, and and where would you use it? 
I don't end up using it that often that because it was available in, in Halide last year, which, you know, it's a camera app that I, I like a lot and offers some more advanced features like this, but I didn't end up doing it too much because, you know, I, because I have bigger cameras. So that it almost makes me a, not a great judge of that. Cause I'm like, for me, it's when I want the best quality, I pull out a full frame, you know, I, I have a bigger option. If the iPhone is your only camera, which, you know, there's lots of people that that's all they carry around. I would do it for really, I mean, any photo that you think is going to be great. I prefer shooting in, in, in the raw mode, um, over the Heath because it does offer some advantages in terms of the, like the actual color and contrast does come out nicer in raw as well. The sharpness is a little bit better. Like everything is better in raw because any of the Apple Heaths are really optimized to my eye. They're optimized to be viewed on a smaller screen. They're made to be, so they look their best on an iPhone. As soon as you get them on a computer screen, they're a bit over sharpened. The contrast is kind of like weirdly punchy and it, you know, it looks like a phone. You can tell the difference, but I had this really incredible demo. Uh, The fact that I was here in Denmark actually let me go to the capture one offices. Capture one is the professional photo software. Like a lot of your listeners probably have experienced Lightroom or know about Lightroom at least. Capture One is the the more professional Lightroom. And they were showing me examples of what they're able to do and the the color information that they are able to pull out of the iPhone. And it's it looks a lot better to me than what Apple is doing with their default Heath processing. Um, because the, the way that, you know, like I say, it's optimized for a phone, it's optimized for the majority of people that want that super, that, uh, you know, when you walk into Best Buy and all the, the vibrance is turned up on all the TVs, yeah. Apple doesn't go that far, but no, most people like the, a little more oomph to their image. When you run the raw through a more sophisticated processor like Capture One or Lightroom or anything, it starts to look a lot more like film the, the, like more gentle gradients between colors and it just feels richer and more like a real camera to me. So I actually, I still love that, that raw image. I actually like it more than the 48 megapixel Heath. Um, even, even though, you know, both of them are there, but if you want that ultimate quality, I think the raw is worth it still. Assume, assume you're a Mac power user and you buy the latest and greatest iPhone or, or one within a, a year or two of being the latest and greatest. Um, and Apple just continues to put the pedal down on the iPhone as a camera. Uh, where where do you run out of steam? Where do you hit the um, the ceiling with an iPhone where you should be thinking about buying uh, a point and shoot or a fancy camera? You know, like a Sony or a you know. There's a lot of great cameras mm-hmm. out there now with a bigger frame and lenses and and whatnot. Where is that friction point in your mind? Oh, I mean, yeah, we're at such an interesting crossroads with this because I, it's it's shifted a lot of the last few years. Of course, it's going to keep moving, but I, I do think there's always a place for bigger cameras. I, I see a lot of people that they, they you know they want to upgrade, they want to get something bigger and more professional, but they don't realize what bigger actually means in real life. And bigger means more space in your bag. You know, it means it doesn't fit in your pocket. It means you've got to wear it on a strap all day. So. I think if you want to, if you want to upgrade, first of all, come to terms with like, are you going to bring it around with you? I'm the kind of person that's willing to, I have a backpack with me a lot of the time when I travel or, you know, I, you know, I'll have a, I buy like fanny packs I can put over my shoulders that are big enough to 
hold, hold the camera. I try to find a way to bring that bigger camera with me most of the time. Um, but be honest with yourself if you're doing it. If you're not going to do it, the iPhone will take fantastic images. Um, but if you if you've decided you're you're willing to carry something around, and by the way, great recommendation for specifics on this, like the Fuji FX100. Um, it's actually hard to get a hold of because everybody has realized this is great. Um, but uh, you know, or, or the a Sony A7. Right? Four. They changed. It just came out recently. A6700. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, it's a little more compact, but excellent image quality, um, you know, but I don't think it's as useful. To, so th- those are a little a little bit larger, but I think the point and shoots are really struggling right now to find their place because they, they're they not going to really look better than a modern iPhone. Modern iPhones look amazing. Um, so all of a sudden you've got two things in your pockets and two batteries to charge. But if you you want, want to upgrade, get something that has a larger sensor, at least an APS-C sensor. The benefits you'll see is you'll anytime you look at those images large, you will always see the benefits. It's not just low light. It's almost any situation. Um, as you blow them up, even looking at them on, you know, a 16 inch MacBook pro screen, you can usually tell which one comes from the larger sensor. Um, so I try to make a habit of like, whenever we're having family events, you know, people are together for the, the memories that matter most to me. I try to make sure like that's when I've I've still got a bigger camera with me because you know, the iPhone photos they're they work, they look great, but they're not quite the same. I I more so do my like everyday, um, like documenting the world around me. I love the iPhone for travel a lot. Like most of my photos of like the city I'm in, the, the places I'm in and just the things around me, most of that is on the iPhone. Um, so for me, the big camera is reserved for either work, you know, when I'm shooting a job, or like I say, pe- like people I care about, because those are the memories I really want to preserve. I think that's, you know, I think that's a good summary. And I do believe that like, don't buy a point and shoot if you've got an iPhone. I just don't think that they're worth it. The iPhones are yeah. great. So if you want to get a better camera, you've got to buy something a little more expensive. And and you're right, there's a big trade-off to that. I'd be curious to hear uh, from the listeners, you know, where they where they find that point as well. But it's still there. I, You know, every time we get a new iPhone, mm-hmm. there's a bunch of articles and videos saying, oh, now the big cameras are dead too, and you don't need I I don't agree. You clearly can take better video and photos with bigger cameras, but there is a cost. Money, wait, yep. time. And, and sometimes it takes extra effort. I mean, the out-of-the-lens shot you get out of an iPhone is so good because – all the processing they do, you know, Sony and these other uh, vendors make great cameras, but they don't do the uh, computational photography at the level Apple does. Yeah, no, not at all. Um, yeah, I think it's also easier to to mess up your photo on a bigger camera too. It's easier yeah. to get the wrong settings and have it not turn out. So, okay, so we spent the last segment talking about cameras and shooting photos but i you know you do a lot of video tyler and you actually were instrumental in my life because we were trying to figure out my my wife and i like to shoot videos at disneyland and i was bemoaning it on the show do i get a do i get a um gimbal or do i get a a new camera and you just i think you texted me or or, uh or tweeted me dude just use the iphone it's good you know <laughs> and and it was yeah. like a kind of a, a turning point for me to say ah oh, tyler stallman knows a lot about this stuff and he's telling me the iphone video is good enough for pretty much everything i do um that was several years ago uh how's apple doing mm-hmm. with video on the iphone at this point 
Oh, great. I mean, this year was very exciting for professionals specifically. And, you know, I'll try not to go down too many rabbit holes here because there are so many things that, uh, you know, things that, may, that won't apply to everybody, but are very exciting for pros. And so the, I'll, I'll, I'll try to get it out of the way right away. So I don't stay on it too long. Well, Cut actually, I, I have a question about that because, so you talked in the, sure. the review that you have log profiles and the ability to, mm-hmm. to save out directly to an attached SD card with, you know, and, and is this just a pro only thing? I mean, I feel like now that Apple's made it so easy, I mean, you could literally take your iPhone out with a little SD card stick and an SD card in it and shoot 4k 60 straight into that card. I mean, mm-hmm. is that something that that normal folk like me should start thinking about doing? So not yet, because those files are so massive. You have no, <laughs> okay. It, the, the, you will go through so much pain storing them. Um, and you know, part of this is a choice by Apple that I, I don't, I don't really know why they did this first. What the, the codec they're using is ProRes four two two HQ. Excellent codec. Professionals use it all the time, but it means the files are enormous. You know, 10 seconds, I think was like 800 gigs or, you know, imagine it, or sorry, 800 meg, wait, megs, 800 megs. Um, so, you know, you're getting like a gig every 10 seconds, right? That's not easy to work with. So shooting this stuff for my review was like completely filling up phones. Um, it's, it's really not very practical normal mirrorless cameras will shoot h265 files with log and those are a lot easier to work with but log requires work in post right when you see it at first it is flat and there's no contrast there's no saturation it looks terrible you can't use it you have to run it through some post processing to get the get the beauty out of it and first of all that takes some extra time and effort to do that but uh, it also means the files need to be pretty like substantial, like they need to be thick and hefty to to extract all that color information. So that's I think that's why Apple made them ProRes for now. But most cameras do that in you know in H.265 files that are about 200 megabits per second. The iPhone records something I don't remember the number, something more like 20 or 40. Or yes, much smaller 4k files so if you're trying to stretch all the color out you get banding and artifacts and it wouldn't look nice so we're missing that feature right now that's why this isn't ready for the real mainstream because people don't have enough storage to deal with uh all of this and, and the workflows aren't quite there but i think within within a year um you know i already have talked to some developers that have their mind on this that like it will be easy to shoot like basically you'll convert that log footage on the fly and you'll still get a smaller file that looks like whatever you want. It looks like film. It looks like a movie. And that's the, that's kind of the punchline to what this log allows for to me is like, you can match this to, to virtually any camera. It's not as good as a red camera or an area Alexa, which is, you know, that's all, all of Hollywood is, is on those, but you could cut between them in a lot of situations and not notice the difference like these a modern now an iphone 15 pro can be cut into a big budget movie and and pass it like pass the sniff test people just won't spot it because the log and the prores allow it to to fit in and match with virtually anything which is that's why i'm so excited it's amazing and that's in an iphone that fits in your pocket (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's it it's really quite shocking. And a, a lot of that was actually stripping away some of the uh, like previously there was some quite a bit of sharpening, or even now if you record the compressed files, you can see some chunky sharpening and and some of that contrast I was talking about before. That all goes away when you shoot the log, and that's part of what makes it look more professional. It is great, but I want the next penny to drop too. I want to get really great looking video out for for normal folk like me, uh, and uh, yeah. and hopefully we're not far off on that as well. On the uh, the video stuff, like one of the things they they added a few years ago was cinematic mode, and I know we talked about portrait mode. This is kind of the video version of that. And I really like it. I just, you know, I can't get over how good it looks so long as you don't go crazy with it. But, but what, are, what are your thoughts on it as someone who actually does shoot with big cameras and lenses that get you that bokeh without, you know, uh, ones and zeros? Yeah, I think cinematic mode gives itself away more than portrait mode because, sure. you know, it's pre- the phone has to process it a little bit more on the fly. It's doing, you know, up to well does it do 60 it's doing at least 30 frames per second in cinematic mode of of that portrait effect per second so that's a lot more work and so the result is that it doesn't quite come out as well as a still portrait mode photo um but it 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 does look quite convincing especially if you're watching it back on a phone if you look at it on a smaller screen it can fool you for sure um, the trick is like you were saying, just to turn it down. Uh, you can do that afterwards or you can set your default and I would set it to something like F four or F 5.6. I think the default is like F 2.8 or something And that. It, it's too blurry. It does not look real. I, do, I when I see people posting those kinds of images, I, I, I think it's not worth it. Um, so yeah, I think cinematic mode is fun. Just keep it subtle and it'll have that same kind of separation. Yeah, I, I think maybe I acknowledge that it's fun, right? It's not someone who <laughs> yeah. has the eye and has the right equipment is going to, it's not going to fool them, right? But but it is fun no, for yeah. me. What, what about stabilization? That's what you told me. That's what you got me on the iPhone as a video camera to begin with. And I'll, just to give you my experience, after you, you said that, I, I did some experiments. I I had, I ordered a um, a gimbal, one of the Osmo fancy ones, and I mm-hmm. shot a video of it walking through Disneyland and then I took the gimbal off and I walked through Disneyland and the, I couldn't tell the difference between the two videos. What is, I don't even know what those gimbals are doing. <laughs> Maybe I wasn't right. setting it right yeah. or the iPhone has just got so good that we just don't need it anymore. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is that it, it's the latter. The gimbals definitely do work. Um, the, you know, they're, they're still necessary when you're using a bigger camera, but it's just so good in the phone now. And this isn't action mode, you know, before I was talking about when you zoom in and turn on action mode, you can basically run and shoot handheld and it'll still look stable. If you walk kind of, kind of carefully, like, you know, not, not, not like, uh, you don't need to be wearing rollerblades, but if you're just, you know, slow and, and bend your knees as you walk, it will look like a gimbal and be completely smooth, just shooting normally. And I, it almost feels like people are taking this for granted. They don't realize how much is happening because if you t- use a third-party app and you turn off stabilization, you can see the shake that's going on. And it is it w- massive. <laughs> we would not enjoy watching iPhone videos as much as we do yeah. if we didn't have the stabilization. So it's, I mean, it's incredible. And it is a little bit better on the pros than it is on the 15. There is a different stabilization going on there. Interesting. I didn't know that. Well, it is It's definitely something that, that I, reviewers don't even really talk about it much anymore because I think people just take it for granted now that it's going to have good stabilization. 
which kind of leads me into the the question I asked before, where do people make a decision? Because like you've got an iPhone camera, then you've got, there are like more consumer grade video cameras, like the GoPros or Sony makes that, uh, that vlogger camera. And you know, there's, there's ones that are not super expensive, you know, in the five to $700 range, I guess I'd say uh, that are really sold as, as cameras. And then there's the fancier, you know, full frame lens cameras. Where does one look for the, the points now between, Oh, an iPhone isn't enough. I need to step up to something else. Yeah. It's, it's a little different. I think with, with video, because I think it's even more, it makes more sense to shoot a phone all the time. Um, you know, I think, I think you only really need a video camera. If you're, if you have a purpose for this footage, if you're going to be editing it and posting it and sharing it and you want it to look professional, or you have some very serious home video project that you're going to edit together someday and you, you really take your home video seriously. Totally. I, 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 which I endorse that idea. I love that kind of work and I make those kind of home videos. Um, but for, yeah, you know, for capturing life, the fact that the phone's in your pocket means you will capture so much more of it. And the quality is there. The, uh, the experience is there and they've made some other nice, uh, little, uh, adjustments to the settings of video that I really appreciate a great example is If you go into your settings now, you can tell it to lock the white balance while recording. And this is something that always gave away iPhone footage as being shot on a phone to me is that as you moved around any area, you would see these big white balance shifts depending on what it saw. Like if it, if you turn towards a yellow wall, it'll be like, Oh, yellow, the image is too warm. I need to make it more blue. And it'll, you'll see this big jump and people's skin will suddenly look strange. And now if you go into settings and you have it lock white balance, it means just while you're recording, it won't change that decision. So usually as you record, you're in the same environment the whole time and it'll look much more stable and consistent. A movie, TV, like they're never going to change white balance during a shot. So it gives a more professional look. And I think that one setting can go a long way for a lot of people. I had someone uh, inside Apple tell me once that I would not believe the size of the team Apple has working on the camera stack between software and hardware. Mm. And, you know, because Apple's always known as a team that has a company that has small teams. Like they don't have, yes. you know, a hundred people working on Apple mail, you know, and, uh, and that's, I think, when one of the reasons I think in a lot of ways that's a good thing, but the camera is a huge focus of the company. And you do, when you see things like the auto white balance and the nice, like, quality of life year over year improvements, you know that there are people at Apple using them like you and me who, who run into these problems and, uh, I do agree that it seems like every year there's little things that get fixed like that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I know that Apple is, you know, they care about photography as much as anyone. They are, that the team is composed of, of real photographers that know what looks good. Um, even the, th you know, like I can, I complain about some of the attributes of the images, but I also know why they are making the decisions they are because like, they're not, I'm not the target, right? Like I want my images to look a certain way, but most people have a different preference and are going to want something a bit punchier. And, you know, it, they are walking that fine line and I, you know, I think they're doing a really great job at it. So, um, yeah. What do you think of, uh, Apple's kind of color balance? It seems like, uh, over the years, 
um, that's evolved a little bit, but you know, the out of the phone color balance, you know, do you think they're getting it right? I mean, one of the features we got, I think last year was the ability for us to tweak that, but do you, uh, do you use it generally as they give it to you or do you make changes to it? Yeah, I was, I was actually disappointed with that feature, uh, photographic modes, I think yeah. is what it's called. I never open it anymore. So I kind of forget because it, it, you know, I, I loved the concept when I saw that they were doing it. I'm like, Oh, this is going to be great. This is going to be what I, I, you know, I was trying to describe a minute ago where it's like, Oh, you can dial in a, a look that feels like film. It feels like a final image as I shoot. And it's, it's, it's not, it's such a light touch that I think most people don't really notice the difference of those, those different styles. And I, um, I stick to the default. Um, I don't think there's and it, part of the reason for me as well is because I review these phones. And if I'm changing a lot of settings, people won't necessarily know how I reached the results that I did. But I think, you know, I don't know. I, I don't think it's really worth digging into for, for most users at this point. I think if you want, really want different colors, you're going to have to go into post. There's a lot of different apps out there. I like VSCO is a, a good one um, or Lightroom Capture One. And you can you dig in a lot further or even just use presets. You don't, you don't have to learn anything really. You can use presets and get something much more interesting but uh, what's provided by default on the phone, not interesting. Also, don't edit your photos in the Photos app because all those tools are actually quite bad. I don't know why. I don't. I don't know why Apple hasn't given that more attention. But um, the adjustments in Lightroom, VSCO, Darkroom, Capture One, all, any of those adjustment tools are much better than what Apple provides in their Photos app. Um, before the break, you had mentioned that you prefer some third-party apps for uh, photo editing. Uh, what are the one or two that you would recommend? So um, my go-to that has just stuck over the years, I use it over and over, is Vis- Visco, VSCO. Um, they started off as Lightroom presets, and now their iPhone app is just has a ton in there. And I, I've, I have done one video that was comparing all of these different photo apps. And, you know, things like how does the exposure slider work? Like what, what is the tonal response from the image? Cause exposure sliders mean a different thing in each app. Like it's not universal. And I would kind of think it is like, I know what exposure means to me, um, but you're going to get a different response and same with the white balance slider and all of them. So, um, you know, I find VSCO very quick to get something pleasing, um, to get something interesting. A lot of, you can just pop a preset on there and you're probably going to like it. What actually gives you the most control and is just a well-written app on the phone is Lightroom Mobile. It's incredibly powerful. Uh, you can download, pre- like install presets. I like sell a preset pack as well. Like it's super easy to just like throw a lot of different options on there. But it it takes a little more time than VSCO to get to get the results. But you can go further. You can push your images much further. Um, so Lightroom's kind of kind of the ultimate. Uh, Capture One also has a mobile option i think it's a little less developed at this point because it's newer but um but it's i think it's going to be better in the long run but it's not quite there yet and so how often do you do the photo editing on your phone i mean i know as a professional you probably do a lot of it back on your mac yeah i mean it depends what it's for because part of professional life is also social media now you know a lot of the stuff that we're shooting is meant for the, for the web. And so, um, you know, when it's, uh, I, I do edit on my phone often, but not, yeah, I wouldn't say for clients. It's more for sure. my own work. And I'm doing that all the time. Uh, most photos I post have something modified in it. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm only really posting 
original photos if I'm trying to show a sample from the camera. Uh, other than that, I'll, I'll pretty much run everything through some kind of processing because it makes a big difference. I mean, it's a, the, the editing is a huge part of um, what separates like a skilled hobbyist, you know, that you understand composition, you know, you you know how to make it basically look good, but if you don't edit your photo, it doesn't feel, it sort of doesn't feel complete, you know, like it's, um, it looks like you've, you've written your book in cursive instead of typed it out and printed it and bound it. Um, yeah. so I, I do think there needs to be this little bit of polish at the end. All right. I got some quick questions for you, uh, to help us all get better at this stuff. First one, if I'm taking a picture of my wife or significant other and I'm going to pull out my iPhone, what are the three things I could do to make it a much better picture? Oh yeah. I got, I have, I have a really great first one. Um, wipe the lens. I mean, it sounds so obvious. I say (laughs) it over and over and I'll say it over and over for the rest of my life. Most people's image quality is just bad because their lens is dirty. Like, I know I can't even get the word out there enough because I see it so much. Like people, people are watching my video and they're like agonizing over spending $1,500 on a new camera to get a better new phone to get a better camera. And really like the main reason their photos look bad is because they're letting the, you know, the, their fingerprints get all over the camera they have now. We just had this in my house. Yeah. My wife was taking a selfie and she's like, why does it look better on your camera? And I said, cause I don't wear makeup. It's really that simple. <laughs> yeah. No, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, wipe, wipe it constantly and try not to scratch your lens at all. That's, that's the, the absolute biggest thing. Um, once you've gotten through that, uh, I I think a common one that I I see people most often, the default is they'll shoot from their eye level. Like they'll just hold whatever height you are, you hold the camera right in front of you and take that photo. Cause it's what you see, right? The, 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 it makes sense. Like you're capturing your perspective. Most things, most people look more flattering from a slightly lower angle. If you think of traditional photography, like if you look at some old photo books of people holding Hasselblads, they're always holding it at waist level because there's a, for, in those days, you know, there's a mirror on top and you would see the image by looking down that like kind of waist level is a much more flattering perspective for most humans, most subjects. But the main way I think about it is that whatever the thing is you're taking the photo of, be it a similar height to that. So if that's a person's face, then it's okay to be at the same height as their face. You know, you're putting them in the center, but as you back up, if you're going to see their torso, now you want to be at the height of the torso, which is no longer eye level right now. It's like down towards your chest. If you're taking a full length photo, you're going to want to go even just a little lower down on your torso. So you're, you know, not quite looking up at them. You're looking, you're straight at them now because now your, your eye level would be a little too high. So often people take photos where they're kind of looking down on somebody, which shortens them and distort, like the head gets a little bigger than the feet. Um, So trying to find the way that the camera is pointed straight at the person and make that your default for most photos, most of the time, you can break that rule. You can experiment. Like you don't have to always do that, but that should be the starting point for most photos. You know, I've been following photography for some time and I've never heard that. I, that's new to me. So thank you for sharing that. I mean, if you, I, I don't think it's summarized as a tip too often, but just look at f- professional work. I mean, it's very, it's very common. Most pro work is coming from lower. In fact, I've read tips, just the opposite where they say, oh, you should stand up and shoot down at them, but you're right. Then they so have, I've really wondered where that tip came from. And I, I think actually what it is, is that, you know, people are conscious about their chin because if you have a bit of a double chin, 
you don't want to see it. So shooting from above will hide it, right? Um, the the thing is, it's that's the only thing that that angle is doing. It's not helping with anything else, making anything else more flattering. If you're concerned about your chin, what you need to do is not change the angle the photo's being taken at, but extend your neck while it's being taken. Try to kind of flex forward and tighten your jaw a bit. That'll do a lot more for, for being flattering than moving the camera above you. Again, above you makes your feet small and your head big. Yeah, it gives you a big head. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, you got one more. Ask for three, but you gave me two golden ones. Oh, I don't know yeah, if we sure. need a third. You know, another one, this is especially an iPhone tip. I think a lot of people could also expose a little darker. Um, easy to do. You just tap on the screen and drag down a little bit. There'll be a little sunshine icon. Drag down on that. Um, I find often people are letting their images be brighter than they need to. Um, you know, look at whatever the brightest part of the image is. If there's sun, there's light on one side of people's face and not the other side, make the bright side exposed correctly. You know, aim to have the brightest thing in the image be the the correct exposure and let some other things be darker. I think often people want everything to feel bright. It's not quite as beautiful as if you kind of, you know, aim for, again, the brightest thing to be, to look normal. And it's okay if there's some shadows. Okay, since you are now a world-famous viral action mode um, uh, media producer, uh, so action mode is that thing on the iPhone where it does even more stabilization, let, lets you run and shoot. And you did this great, like you said in the earlier, this great video where you were walking around a statue with the zoom lens. I'd never even occurred to me that that would be something you would want to do, but the shot came out great. Give us some tips for people that want to try and reproduce that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, the big thing with action mode and, you know, the reason I think people don't end up talking about it a lot is because the normal stabilization, the normal stabilization is so good that you don't often need action mode. So it's really for when there's big movement. So if you want to see it do something exciting, you should run, <laughs> you know, like move yeah. quickly. Um, and, and what I was doing when I'm zooming in, anytime you have a further reach on your lens, that is amplifying movement. Just like I said, that it makes it more shaky. Same thing with like, you know, lateral movement. If you're moving left and right, that movement is amplified as well. So by turning on action mode, you have a lot more flexibility in terms of how much you can move. So try all the different focal lengths and move far and fast. If you're not moving quickly, if you're, you know, just walking, you hundred percent don't need action mode. It's, it's for the extremes. So if you want it to be fun and exciting, find a way to do something extreme, move quickly. Nice. And uh, as an amateur videographer, I am constantly bewildered by the option of 24 or 30. So Apple makes it really easy Mm -hmm. to do 24 frames or 30 frames. Every time I talk to somebody about this, it's like a holy war. Do you have any guidance? Please help me, Tyler. Yeah, I think I think there's ways to think about it without getting into, you know, the, the politics of 24 versus 30. Um, the thing is, most social media will conform the image to 30 frames per second anyway. So when you upload to Instagram or TikTok, um, doesn't matter what you shot in, it will be 30 frames per second. So it has to do a little bit of um, adding imaginary frames when you upload 24 to Instagram and it can, it, it, it can be subtly choppy in ways that most people don't notice, but you know, it, it, it isn't as good as watching true 24, which is what you see when you watch it on your own phone. So I, I like 24, uh, for YouTube, I shoot everything in 24. I prefer it. It looks more 
filmic and cinematic to me. Um, but the, the, you know, the realities of the internet is 30 is a little more, it is the standard a bit more. And I'm in Europe right now. So I was trying to figure this out too, of like 25 is pal, <laughs> right? That's like the, the traditional yeah. standard here for Which TV. Has one more, but right? when <laughs> they upload to Instagram, <laughs> when they upload to Instagram, it's still converting it to 30. So they kind of get forced into the like American standard. Um, so yeah, I, I think, um, oh, and, but again, for any European listeners, the thing is 25 will get rid of the flicker of your lights. So whenever I'm traveling and you see some flickering lights, I switch it to 25 frames per second to get rid of that. But then in just normal day-to-day use, I'll use 30 frames per second for social media. And, uh, again, I, I know some people, I know some people like to shoot in 60 for like, cause it looks the sharpest. I think it looks terrible if you're not using slow motion 60 frames per second is for slow motion or video games or maybe sports but it's not for normal day-to-day life 30 is is probably the sweet spot for most people one last question about photography and i will uh i will and we'll move past that but a lot of our listeners are not interested in buying a fancy camera but they want to get the most out of their iphone are there any accessories you're using with your iPhone when you're shooting, whether it be video or photos that you think are, are worth checking out. I experiment with a lot of accessories. I love, I mean, I love me a good accessory. Um, I I think it's worth starting without like spend as much time as you can without them. Um, the main thing that will be useful to you in the long run is a good sturdy clamp so that you are able to attach it to a tripod, um, or stand or what, you know, selfie stick, whatever it is you need. Uh, that's the, that's the one accessory you'll probably keep coming back to over the years. And then lately I've been using, um, there's a few really great microphones out there. I I did another video recently, just testing every mic that you can plug into a phone to see what's best for social media. And the, the ones that I like the most, which are the most expensive is these new road wireless pros, um, that are just, I mean, the quality is really incredible and you can plug it straight into, either lightning or USB-C and um, super versatile. So uh, looking at that or either the DJI mic, b- uh, both do a really great job of doing wireless high quality audio. Um, if you, if you need to step up your game in your iPhone videos. Tyler, we always like to finish up these interviews talking about favorite apps and services. Are there any little apps or services that you use that bring you joy and delight that you want to share with the world? Oh, I mean, there are many, um, there's some exciting new ones. A lot's been, a lot's been changing on the ground lately with the announcements from Apple. So something everybody should be checking out now is uh, black magic cam. Um, if you haven't heard of the company, black magic, they, uh, they've like, they've been doing huge things in the professional video world for years. Um, they're big, they're maybe ha- up until now they're best known for DaVinci resolve, which previously was a really high end color grading software just used by professionals cost a quarter million dollars and they made it free. And, uh, so there's, you know, excellent color tools in there. Great editor. Um, and there's a professional version, but you can do most of it for free. A lot of people are using the free version and it it is excellent. Resolve's amazing. So anyway, this company, Blackmagic Design, they have released a professional camera app for the iPhone. Obviously this was coordinated with the iPhone 15 launch because it supports some of the new features, including Apple log. Um, and also, some new compression rates as well. So you can shoot in somewhat smaller files using the black magic camera app, uh, not H265 that I mentioned before, but smaller ProRes options. 
It also just gives you like all these manual controls, lets you set which mic you're using. You can do slates, meaning like you're marking the in and out points of your videos. Like you can do all the pro stuff with it. So if anybody is looking to use their iPhone for actual professional production, I think this is going to be the go-to app. Before now, it was Filmic Pro, which was a subscription model. So you have to you know pay monthly to be using it. Uh, and it did a great job. But the fact that this is free, I mean, I think this is going to be the go-to. And coming from a company that is very well-trusted, uh, Blackmagic Camera is is really awesome. I, I will say at this moment, there are kind of some bugs that I, I, I uh, when I'm using Apple Logs specifically. So if anybody downloads it before that's fixed, be aware. But I'm sure it'll be resolved by the time this comes out. It's interesting that, you know, as soon as Apple gives you a way to get, you know, the, the higher resolution download and make, they make a video workflow that the, the professional video software guys are showing up. Yeah, totally. Oh, and well, I I have one more recommendation too. So I mentioned capture one before speaking of uh, the high end professionals. So the, uh, that demo that I was mentioning, they gave me where, you know, they could extract more interesting colors from your phone. You can get a, their app is also subscription, but you can get a seven day trial and see what it looks like. And if you just check out the raw photos from that, you can see like an alternative color process from what Apple offers. Each time you shoot a raw photo and export from capture one, it'll, it looks quite different from what the phone does on its own. Um, So I'd recommend checking that out. It's, it's really kind of cool to see just another interpretation of the, the same image data. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, Tyler, if people want to learn more about the stuff you do, I talked about your YouTube channel, but you guys also have a business where you produce video and you also make some of your own color profiles and different things. Where, where should folks go? I mean, there's quite a few, there's quite a bit of variety in the work that we do. So I think the easiest thing is just to search for my name, which is Tyler Stallman, and you'll find any of those specific things that you're looking for. And uh, if you like podcasts, I also have a podcast called the Stallman podcast, where I talk about this kind of thing all the time. Yeah, I'm sorry I forgot to mention that earlier. It's it's a great show. <laughs> no worries.